You're listening to Draft Chat. Episode 2. Hey everybody, welcome to the Draft Chaff Podcast. This is episode two, and today we're going to be talking all about M21, our format breakdown, if you will. Um, I'm Zach. This is where I'm supposed to say I'm Ben. Yep. You set me up for that. Yeah, wow, episode two. Feels like we've been doing this for years, already episode two. <laughs> it's, it's, it's going pretty well so far, I'd say. Thanks to everyone listening. Uh, honestly, we're... we're overwhelmed to see that like double digits and people have been checking it out which is that's awesome yeah yeah bigger than i kind of thought it would get uh in the first week but i realized we didn't really explain who we are in the last episode so (laughs) maybe maybe we should kind of give the listeners a little idea of who we are or what we're into and that kind of stuff so do you want to kick us off with that ben I guess we could, but we could also just stay as these vague shadowy figures that they'll never really understand just kind of listen to our limited takes yeah, maybe we should we should give them something to go. No, no, I, I'll talk about it. <laughs> so actually, I uh, I just got an email from Wizards this morning saying that I qualified for the the next Mythic Invitational qualifier. Is that what that's it's called? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Congratulations. Thank you we very got, much. We got a big wig here. Uh, I finished uh, rank nine ninety in limited in June, uh, which thankfully I didn't have to play a single match after I hit. <laughs> Yeah, you, you what? You got rank. to like four hundred something immediately, and then you just coasted for the rest of the season. Actually, my highest I was at one sixty eight, oh, and crap. then I just uh, I let let it go. Started playing a bunch of historic, which is another pretty good format out there right now. But yeah, then I just let it go, and I've been tracking the drift every day. Um, seems like you drift around around forty spots in in. Uh, the you know mythic ladder each day but finished at 990 so i had a good cushion there and uh yeah i'm excited to see what happens there that's going to be some kind of zendikar rising format so who knows what that'll look like but yeah that's rotation and everything yeah as far as background that's the first time i've done this uh but i've been playing on and off for the past like about like five or six years now um actually this this guy over here taught me how to play yeah my first green stompy deck in the the high school classrooms and i've been a a green player ever since so that's your fault for making me into a a green mage i guess yeah so your first format was theros limited which was like og theros limited (laughs) which is awesome very good format to get into uh, yeah i mean i remember my first draft very very well because of how bad it went i uh i pack one picked one a uh a spear of heliod and then I took every single white card because no one told me you're supposed to go for like two colors. So I wound up with some pretty bad cards in that deck. But Luckily, though, I'd like to think it improved. Well, I mean, at least Theros, like OG Theros, was a it was a format you could draft a monocolor deck. Like Devotion was a thing. Well, so, I mean, yeah, I guess so. Wasn't the end of the world, but yeah. So uh, as he, as Ben mentioned, I was the one who kind of got him into it, but he has since surpassed me, I think, in skill. Um, oh, don't don't go that far. I'm a dirty uh, control mage. I love blue decks that don't do anything except draw <laughs> cards and tell opponents that they're not allowed to play the game. Um, Ben's a filthy mid range player, so we are at odds yeah. very frequently about what's good and what's not. Um, if a card says mill on it, I probably like it. Um, now they actually say mill too, which is phenomenal. Yeah, they do. I noticed some uh, 
some retroactive changes. I was playing a, an Ikoria draft, and the uh, the two mana three one that taps for mana or to put cards in your graveyard, it said mill on it. How great is oh, that? Oh, that's cool. I didn't realize they did that. Yeah, just online, at least. It's easy to make those changes quickly. But um, yeah, my brain's not big enough to play blue decks, uh, so I, I stick with the good stuff, the Abzon colors. Mine often isn't Never either, better. but I love it. Eh, well, whatever. Uh, but Let yeah. us know in, in the comments uh, what kind of mage you are. Ben is a podcast. Like they can't comment on it on this. Like, comment, and subscribe if you oh, agree gosh. that blue decks are <laughs> the worst. Uh, I'm gonna dis uh, counterspell whatever those comments are. Anyway, if um, blue mages just just shut the podcast off, they just stop listening. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, no, but I, I've been playing since M10, so um, yeah. That was a while ago. That was before original Zendikar. I think that was the set before Zendikar. Was that um, when original Bane Slayer came out? Might have been. The might have been. I never opened one, but back then I was a kid, so like I just bought packs and didn't know how to build a proper constructed deck. Didn't even know what limited was. Um, mm. uh, so, poor thing. Yeah, I know. But I, I've since evolved, and here we are. Um. Okay, but that's I guess that's enough to give people a little bit to go on at least. Um, yeah. A couple of other announcements since the last episode. Uh, hopefully you've already noticed, but I upgraded my audio setup, so we have hopefully a little bit better audio quality, hopefully a little bit better um, balance between my audio and Ben's audio. Going to be mm -hmm. continuing to make that as good as we can going forward, but um, yeah. I'll do my best cool. to continue to be just loud, louder than you at all times. I'm just pretty loud in general you can't see me but i'm shaking my head vigorously <laughs> it's um, gonna cause a lot of audio tech problems on your end yeah thanks uh we also <laughs> have a couple of other things to mention we have a patreon uh, at patreon.com slash draft chaff pod uh if you're interested in that sort of thing go ahead over there and check that out that'll definitely help us keep this podcast as awesome as it can be um we also would really love feedback so uh we opened a discord um so that server is a draft chaff podcast. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. Um, and yeah, that that's, that's cool. Hopefully we can build a nice solid community there. Um, yeah. And talk eventually, about limited. Yeah. We'll, we'll both be doing some like streaming type things too. Eventually. So we're starting to get our setups together. Uh, I guess quarantine has given us a lot of time to plan this stuff out, but yeah, eventually we want to start you know, branching into that too. So it'll be, it'll be cool to have a community of people that we can, and talk to you about this stuff about you know the best format for limited sure. for sure all right let's get into our what's the pick for this week ben so Sweet. so uh what have we got right so i've got a, a pack here i was really torn with this pick so i figured it'd be good for some discussion so to set the scene we're at pack one pick two um our first pick was a fungal rebirth that is a two and a green for an instant at uncommon it says, return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. If a creature died this turn, create two 1-1 one, one green sapperling creature tokens. So it's a, a decent. I mean, it's it's not the best pack one pick one, but it, it's a decent card. Yeah, it's pretty easy to enable that uh, that morbid trigger. Yeah. So the rest of the pack looks like... Uh, sorry, we're in pack two now. Uh, pick two. So the rest of that pack looks like this. We have Shipwreck Dowser, which is three blue-blue for a 3-3... Three, three, merfolk wizard creature at uncommon it has prowess and when it enters the battlefield you return target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand mm. uh, we have alpine hound master red and a white for a 2-2 human warrior uh, creature at uncommon 
when enters the battlefield, you can search your library for a card named uh, Alpine Watchdog and or Igneous Cur, reveal them and put them into your hand, and then you shuffle your library. When it attacks, it gets plus X plus O um, for, until end of turn for each other creature that's attacking. Uh, then we have Palladium Mirror, three mana for a 2-2 Mirror creature, artifact creature at uh, Uncommon. You can tap it to add two colorless to, uh, to your mana pool. And then we have Concordia Pegasus, one and a white for one three at common with flying. Valorous Steed, which is four and a white for a three three Vigilance uh, at common. And when it enters the battlefield, you get a two two white knight creature token with Vigilance. We have Tone Anima, three and a blue for a three three um, that can't be blocked as long as you've drawn two or more cards this turn. We have Vidalian Arcanist, one and a blue for a 1-3 that has tap, add colorless, spend this mana only to cast instant or sorcery spells. Feeded Imp, or Fetid Imp, I suppose. One and a black for a 1-2 flyer with uh, the activated ability black. Fetid Imp gains death touch until end of turn. We have Walking Corpse, which is one and a black for a 2-2. Uh, that's it. Um, we have Spellgorger Weird, two and a red. For a 2-2 two, two weird creature at common, whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put a 1-1 one, one counter, or a plus 1, plus 1 counter on spell gorge or weird. Thrill of Possibility, 1 in a red for an instant at common as an additional cost to cast a spell. Discard a card, and then draw two cards. We have Pride Malkin, 2 in a green for a 2-1. When it enters the battlefield, you put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on target creature you control, and each creature with a plus 1, plus 1 counter has trample. Uh, we have Titanic Growth, 1 in a green, for an instant at common, uh, and target creature gets plus four, plus four until end of turn. And and then a basic lane. Okay, so this pack is interesting. There were like three or four cards that I was bouncing back and forth with um, in this in this pack. Ben, why don't you tell me, what are you looking at when, when you see this pack come around? We've got a fungal rebirth. What are you looking at? Right, so... I found that staying open in this format is one of the best ways to wind up with something playable. Uh, and I'm sure this is something that we're going to touch on throughout the episode, but this is a very weird format uh, where you're not really, you know, taking the rare and then hoping to just take a bunch of stuff in the rare's color. You have to look for these weird, interesting little synergies that are kind of sprinkled all around. So some cards in this pack are just outright strong. Uh, the Shipwreck Dowser is card advantage, and it usually attacks as something like a 3-3-4-4-5-5 three, three, four, four, five, five in the late game. Uh, the Houndmaster is fantastic in the red-white deck, but it is a gold card, so taking it, you know, without even a, a red or white first pick, it's a little sketchy. Uh, I like Feed of the Imp a lot. Um, it, you know, almost always gets you a one-for-one uh, a one at least, and then it's a little flying body that can get in. Sometimes it takes out like a 10-10. Uh, Spellgorger Weird is very strong in anything that, you know, can cast instants or sorceries. So I haven't found it to be great in red-green, or uh, it's pretty good in everything else. And then, uh, I honestly, I think my pick here has got to be the Mountain. Got pretty good art. Oh my gosh. Uh, I like it a lot. <laughs> but anyway, um, there's also Pride Malkin, which if we're going to try to stay on color, uh, you know, the choice between Pride Malkin and Titanic Growth, I'd personally go with the Pride Malkin. It has some interesting synergies with the uh, the Sleepy Dinosaur, the 2-mana 3-3 three, three that can't attack until you have a creature with power 4 or greater. It's a very clean 2-3 punch there uh, where you're swinging with a 4-4 four, four on turn 3. It's a good way to start to get ahead. And uh, I'd be remiss to not mention Palladium Mirror here. It's colorless, 
it's going to you know serve a pretty good role no matter what you end up putting it in. And I found three mana two twos to not be that bad in this set. This one's got a pretty big upside where if you wound up in green, uh, you're casting stuff like your Colossal Dreadmaws one or two turns early. Okay, so are you saying Play Amir would be your pick here? I think it would be, yeah. Um, I have, I'd say probably the Mirror, Spellgorger Weird, or the Dowser would be my, uh, my personal picks. Okay. Probably go with the Mirror. Okay, I think that's, that's a pretty safe pick, and probably the correct pick given the first, the first pick. I ended up picking the Pride Malkin. My reason mm. being I wanted to stay open, which Palladium Mirror does. Uh, you know, that's definitely true. But I uh-huh. honestly, I feel like I was kind of swayed because I had just finished listening to uh, Limited Level Ups cast on <laughs> on their like state of the format address. And they yeah. talked about how they liked um, Green White and I hadn't drafted it yet. And I was like, Pride Malkin's really, really good in that deck. <laughs> so you're just like, I oh, kind of want it. Force green white. Otherwise, I was looking at the Houndmaster, but similar to you, I was thinking we don't have a white or a red card yet. And red white is kind of, in my experience, has been the most the most difficult deck to put together properly because it seems to be pretty heavily drafted. Mm-hmm. It is right now. Yeah. Shipwreck Dowser is fantastic. I've had a lot of awesome plays with that card, but mm-hmm. um, I ended up picking the Pride Malkin. We went. I got a really late Bastry's Acolyte, um, ended up picking up Garrick's Harbinger, a Siege Striker, two Drowsing Pteranodons, a Thrashing Brontodon. Like, the deck came together. Um, Mm -hmm. I I got a Hunter's Edge. So, it uh, it, it did come together, but, yeah, I think think the seat probably would have been different if I picked the Palladium here. I kind Mm -hmm. of, like, pseudo-forced red uh, green-white, so... You know, I managed to make it work, but I don't know that that was necessarily correct. I, I like Palladium Mirror a bit, a bit better, I think. Yeah, I, I wouldn't really even fault someone for taking the Houndmaster here, uh, just because in the red-white deck, it is pretty nuts. But I think if you're trying to do that, the Spellgorger might just be a safer pick. Uh, it, it combines really well with a lot of little combat tricks in every color. Um, and then, yeah, if you take uh, the Spellgorger, I have seen Houndmaster Wheel. I was just about uh, to ask you that. Does Houndmaster wheel? I don't think I've ever. S- I- I've seen it happen once. I actually saw a, th- a pack, a pick thirteen Houndmaster. Yeah, I- I've seen a handful of Houndmasters wheel. Um, sometimes the red white deck just doesn't come together, uh, especially because, like we mentioned, this is a very tricky format to draft. You have to be looking for these little synergies here and there, and on its own, uh, without you know either of the. Uh, the dog's companions that he's looking to get. It's still a fine two drop, but uh, let's say, for example, in a vacuum that you didn't have either of those two in your deck, the spell gorger would just be a better card in that. Definitely. All right. Um, let's move on to our next segment, shall we? Yeah. Um, so as we sort of established in our last episode, we are going to try to keep this recurring theme of what we're calling Teferi and Tybalt's, but it's your, like your typical <laughs> Rose and Thorns. Yeah, um, I'm ready situation uh, i guess i'll kick it off so my like best situation or most interesting situation of the past week was um my f- very first m21 draft was a trophy i went 7-1 with like a really really solid red white deck um and it was kind of a cool intro to the format congrats uh thanks yeah i haven't trophied since though so <laughs> <laughs> so i got that out of my system early um, i haven't done a ton of drafts this week i didn't have a, a whole lot of time i think i've gotten like mm-hmm. five drafts in so um, it's not terrible, and I 
I think I'm sitting at like almost just just under a 60% win rate, which isn't phenomenal, but um, low sample size. So we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, my my worst moment of this week, most frustrating moment, as it were, was that I was playing in, a, in an amazing blue, right, blue red deck. I had two tutelages. I had uh, Teferi's Ageless Insight, which uh. is probably an F, honestly. Like, it's probably not a card you play, but... I just I just jammed it in this deck. I had tons of cantrips <laughs> and like a bunch of wall of runes to just keep me alive on the ground. <laughs> and um I top decked land after land after land and I got my opponent down to four cards in their library. They had lethal on board and had gone really wide with some flyers. Mm-hmm. And I drew my card for the turn that milled them to two. Uh I had one tutelage out and the Teferi's Ageless Insight. Literally any cantrip won me the game. I drew a land and they were just sitting with two cards in their library and all I needed to do was draw one more card and I would have won. And it was just, it was just so frustrating. It happened to me twice in that draft and I was so (laughs) sad about it. Well, look, I don't know if you, if you mess with blue, you know, this is bound to happen. This is just karma for blue mages, right? Every once in a while, the mill deck has to not get there to, to keep the scales, you know, balanced. Does it though? Like, I don't want the scales to be balanced. I want to win games. <laughs> Whatever. So my Teferi moment of the week, uh, I actually came across a, a pretty well-known player, Gabby Sparts, uh, a fantastic streamer and, you know, uh, all-around MTG personality. Love Gabby, love watching her stream. Always a good time. And when I saw that I was against Gabby in a, uh, an M21 draft, I immediately texted Zach. I was like, dude, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> I'm up against a, a celebrity hero of ours. So um, Gabby was playing, as she likes to call it, GB Garbos, uh, just a big pile of good uh, like black and green cards. And I was, uh, I was playing this, this kind of like black, uh, red, really, really strange deck. It, it was starting to beat down. It had a few copies of the, uh, the Uncommon, uh, the Pirate. What's that thing called? Uh, Dire Fleet Wormmonger. Uh, but it also had a Veto, Thorn of the Dusk Rose. So it was trying to beat down early and then hope to draw that to finish things out late. And we had an absolutely fantastic game. Uh, went super close, both low life totals. And I ended up winning with exact lethal after activating Veto to give my team lifelink to swing into uh, her board for, you know, exaxes. So it was an awesome game. Shout out to Gabby for, uh, you know, being good. <laughs> Very cool. And uh, my Tibble, this one, this one hurt. So I was actually, you know, taking a, a dip on the wild side, playing Teferi's Tutelage in a, a blue-green deck. And I, mean. <laughs> I had milled my opponent down to two cards in their library, and uh, they swung for lethal. It was clear I wasn't going to get there. Uh, so I did the thing that most people would, you know, do in that position. I'm kind of like, all right, whatever, game's over. I, like, cast the last spell in my hand, and I hit concede. And then I realized, wait a minute, that last spell in my hand, uh, it was a capture sphere. It wouldn't have mattered on the attacks. Um, their, their board was so big that I was, I was you know, just kind of resigned to it at that point. But I noticed uh, I just targeted a random creature. It was uh, is it Warden of the Wilds, Warden of the Woods. The, uh, the big, uh, you know, I think it's like a 5 7 vigilance that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that makes them draw cards? Yeah. So 
I realized the. Hold on. Yeah, War into the Woods. It's a, a six mana, five, seven vigilance. Whenever it becomes the target of a spell or ability, you may draw two cards. So here's the thing the opponent could have chosen to draw two cards there. Uh, in which case, I could have actually, you know. Or, sorry, they had, a, they had one card in their library I, because okay. that was, you know, the thing. There was a chance by, by some, you know, random. Stroke of luck that they hit. Oh yeah, I like drawing cards. They could have hit draw two, and they would have died. But I conceded, and I'll never know if they would have hit that. You know, <laughs> opponent wins the game for free button. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you. There's, I don't think there are very many worlds where you get away with that. But it could have happened, and that that's kind of sad that it didn't. It was still a feel bad knowing that I had essentially placed victory uh, in front of my opponent and then also added a little side order of defeat if they wanted it. And I'll never get to know what they would have gone with. Yeah. That's why you don't scoop early, kids. Yeah. You generally just want to play it out. All yeah. Right. So uh, let's jump that's into that. It. So M21, we've got a, a lot of stuff to talk about. So we're going to go over the main archetypes. Uh, we're going to talk about you know, the 10 two-color pairs and you know, discuss the top 10 or so cards in each of the archetypes. A lot of commons and uncommons you should keep your eye out for. Uh, talk a bit about the speed of the format, um, whether it's, uh, like I say, Prince or Pauper, how much the, the rares and mythics matter, and which of the archetypes we're really looking forward to. So uh, what do you think of this format overall? What, what do you your, you know, your, your first initial thoughts after a week or two of drafting it. It's, it's kind of weird. Like you were saying a little bit earlier, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, a core set, right? So it's feels like it should be relatively straightforward and simple, kind of lacking a bit. And while I think the games are actually that way, like they're just straightforward. You play your creatures, your opponent plays their creatures. And unless they're playing Teferi's tutelage, you just attack and, and block and stuff. And, you know, the game is pretty normal. It's definitely a popper format. There aren't very, like the power ceiling in this, in this format is very relatively low. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also like not exactly a hyper aggro format. It's one of the faster formats I think we've seen recently, but like you can still, like every game still pretty much makes it to like mid slash late game. Yeah. The thing is you just really want to be attacking. Like, you want to be aggressive and even the decks that are traditionally more controlling like red blue you want that to be a, you want to build it with an aggressive slant mm-hmm. um i think blue black's kind of the only control deck that really can do anything uh decent unless you're running some other blue deck that has a bunch of various tutelages <laughs> yeah it, it is weird um i've seen tutelage work sometimes you can outrace the aggro decks with it um and i've seen some like kind of go big blue white decks but those end up being a, a little awkward to draft anyway. You really have to, you know, get a lot of removal spells and maybe even a few counters tossed in. But yeah, this is a this is what I like to call a chunky aggro format. Uh, it's not as streamlined as something you'd see in like standard, where you're you're playing your one mana one one haste attack, two mana, uh, you know, two two with upside attack, something like that. The uh, the the beaters tend to be a little more anemic. You're swinging in with like a a three mana two two or something, and then you're usually getting in because the blocker is maybe say a you know a four mana three three, and they're afraid of a trick. 
which are abundant in this format. And there's some really good ones too. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's jump into some of the archetypes. Um, we're going to start off with uh, white, red, go wide aggro. This has the signpost in common of the Alpine Houndmaster, which we yeah. mentioned before in that what's the pick. Um, mm-hmm. It lets you fetch up a couple of other creatures. Um, he gets big if you have a lot of creatures. So it, it basically tells you what red, white wants to be going wide. Um, so we have kind of what we're going to do for all of these archetypes. We're going to go over the signpost in common, um, and then we'll cover the different commons and uncommons that you want to be drafting. Sweet. So I just said Alpine Houndmaster, red and white for 2-2. Two, two. Human Warrior at Uncommon, when Alpine Houndmaster enters battlefield, you may search your library for a card named Alpine Watchdog and or, so you get you can get both of them if you have them, uh, and or a card named Igneous Cure, reveal them, put them into your hand, and then shuffle your library. So it doesn't put them on the battlefield, um, but they're both mm. two drops, I think, or is the... Yeah, the they are. Is, yeah, they are. Okay. So they're, they're both two drops, so you go two drop, draws, draws you two two drops if you have them. Not Not bad. Um, and then also whenever it attack, whenever Alpine, Alpine Houndmaster attacks, it gets plus X plus O until end of turn where X is number of other attacking creatures. So pretty solid to drop for sure. Um, definitely yeah. a payoff for the, the, the red, white go wide deck. Um, but it, it obviously needs some support. It's not just amazing on its own. If you don't have mm-hmm. Alpine Watchdog or Igneous Cur, it's just a two mana two, two. And if you don't have any other creatures, it's a two mana two, two, right? So it does need support. Yeah, like a lot of the other creatures in this format, not great on blocks. This thing obviously wants to be attacking, but hear me out. Imagine this as uh, your top deck turns six. Uh, when you play your sixth land, you play this, you go get these two other cards, you get to play those two, and then next turn, this attacks as a 4-2, and you've got two other ground attackers. Yep. This thing is very good in the red-white deck. For sure, absolutely. And I don't think Igneous Kerr is very good on its own. I actually play Watchdog by itself, I think a two mana two two vigilance is is fine, and in these mm-hmm. decks that like the vigilance doesn't matter a whole lot because you don't really care about blocking too often with the two yeah. two, but um, it can turn off your opponent's attacks to some degree early mm-hmm. in the game, and you know the cur kind of need like you're gonna play one if you have a houndmaster, but you probably don't play it otherwise. Yeah, it sometimes can get in for a lot late. It can you know have that all important threat of activation, but there are better ways to do that. Right, so let's jump into the top 10 commons and, un- and or uncommons uh, for this deck. First up, we have Bastry's Acolyte. We'll go through the white ones first, and then I'll go through some Let's just ones. Yeah, let's just talk about some of these. Yeah, so we have Bastry's Al- Acolyte, Valorous Steed, or like Concordia Pegasus, or, or any of the other pseudo like big-ish creatures uh, or big-butt creatures that can like kind of block. Um, Valor Steed I have on, on this list just because it generates you two creatures, and when you have like a Houndmaster or something, that really matters. Yeah. Um, Faith's Fetters, of course, because it's just the best removal spell White has. Mm-hmm. Um, Selfless Savior, because he can keep your guys alive, and Siege Striker has been phenomenal for me in this format. Yeah. It, it's strong. Um, okay, so that brings us to Red. We've got Battle Rattle Shaman, Bolt Hound, Hitchburn Devils or Shock or kind of anything else that can value that can get you some extra value. Of course, Scorching Dragonfire and Chandra's mm-hmm. Magma as well. Yeah, I mean these commons all really point you one direction. You're attacking, and uh, with little things like Bolt Hound or Battle Rattle, it can turn your smaller beaters into actual threats that your opponent has to worry about. Uh, 
blocking is atrocious in this format. You're sitting with your, you know, like I said, like a four mana three three hill giant, and your opponent swings in with a one one that's been pumped by battle rattle. Like, what are you gonna do? You don't want to take three, but you also don't want to trade down that much in mana. So, uh, you know, th this deck can do some very scary things. Uh, it's capable of some fast wins, and it can actually go into the long game a little bit with stuff like Valorous Steed and Faith's Fetters. Yep. Do you want to uh, bring us into the next one? Yeah, so next we're going to go into green-white counters. So we've got Conclave Mentor as our kind of signpost here. It's a one of the green for a 2-2 Centaur. If one or more 1-1 one, one counters would be put on a creature you control, that many plus 1-1 one, one, one counters are put on that creature instead. When Conclave Mentor dies, you gain life equal to its power. Some nice little you know, bonus text there. That, that seems pretty familiar to me. Didn't we have a... Uh, some kind of snake that did this a while back. One well, Constrictor says hello. Yeah, I miss that guy. This is not quite the body. has a little life gain, I guess, as a trade-off. Um, but, you know, very similar effect. And we see a lot of 1-1 counter synergy. So we've got stuff like Feet of Resistance, which is an insanely good white combat trick. Uh, makes, you know, any attacking uh, creature with one and a white up behind it very scary. Uh, Bash's Acolyte, which is... <laughs> A pretty ridiculous aggro card at common. This thing stabilizes you, it spreads the love around other creatures, and has obvious synergy with the uh, the signpost on common. Bastard Solidarity, kind of the accolade effect on a stick. Sometimes this card doesn't do exactly what you think it is. You look at it and think, wow, I might get, you know, 10 uh, power and toughness out of this. Sometimes you top deck it when you've got one creature on the board and you feel a little, uh, little gypped. But... Yeah, two mana for a 1-1 one -one counter is not great. Yeah, uh, you can actually do that better with Feet of Resistance. Yeah. Sometimes you can also pick up a Tempered Veteran, uh, start messing around with counters in the late game, uh, and you also have a Anointed Chorister. It's one of my favorite one-drops in this format. It's now, really solid. Usually you look at a 1-mana one 1-1. One -one. It has to do something pretty significant to make the cut. In this format, 1-mana one 1-1 one -one with lifelink and this ability to pump in the late game I have double pumped choristers before to swing for lethal. Like this thing can do work. Can yeah, the at the very side? least, at the very least, you you can actually. This is like one of the few early game creatures that can actually block relatively well later in the game. Mm -hmm. uh, you pump into a four four, and they, you know, you eat their biggest attacker, and then also just gain yourself four life. Like it, it's just good. Yeah, that that life gain can really swing these races. So uh, we've also got drowsing tyrannodon, which is really at home here in the white deck. Uh, white has a lot of ways to give it plus one, plus one counters. I think more so than any other uh, any other color. So this is a, a great way to pump it up, get it to a 4-4 four four so it can attack on its own. Uh, we've got stuff like Truffle Snout, Hunter's Edge, Pli Pride Malkin. Well, just serviceable commons that uh, involve 1-1 one, one counters. And then Wildwood Scourge is another good uh, uncommon that can go in this deck. Just a note about this, if you ever have something like a Hunter's Edge, uh, if you can target something else uh, instead of having the Scourge fight, you want to do that to get the maximum value out of the Scourge. I've seen uh, some cases where people you know, play a card that puts a 1-1 one, one counter on the Scourge. Uh, the point is to put it on stuff that isn't the Scourge. Then it ends up yeah. getting the counter anyway. Just a note. Yeah, for sure. Also, um, per perhaps a hot take, but shouldn't I, I don't think it should be at this point but drowsing pteranodon i think actually wants to be in this deck more than it wants to be in the red green deck the the text on the card might make you think the other 
the other way around like it sounds like it belongs in like a red green four four power matters deck mm-hmm. honestly green white just gets the four power creature much more reliably um yeah going- it's a little weird like this is this is text that we're so used to seeing on red green cards yeah but i think i agree can you but like think about it this way you go tyranodon into pride malkin into like acolyte <laughs> you know what i mean like that's just yeah, that's, that's terrifying. just busted um so yeah i can't get over how good acolyte is oh it's like, phenomenal it, it has lifelink too come yeah. on yeah it's good have you ever chained together acolytes putting counters on other acolytes with acolytes i haven't actually had the fortune of drafting more than one in a deck i had four in a deck oh my gosh awesome <laughs> wow also um I think one thing that's worth mentioning with this form uh, with, with with this archetype, um, Siege Striker is really good here. Pride mm, Malkin yeah. and a Siege Striker is phenomenal. Do you want to do it the other way around so that way you can put the counter on? Oh the no, Siege Striker? I, sorry. Yes, I just mean like <laughs> having a Pride Malkin out with a Siege Striker that has a counter on it is fantastic. Oh, to give it trampled too. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because then you can you can tap your team to give make it like a six six double strike with trample. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> that is gross. Yeah. Uh, plus, a lot of the other decks, like something like red white, might be trying to pump the striker with something like a sure strike. Um, whereas the white decks are able to put counters on it. That sticks around and ends up having a little more impact as you get into the late game. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right, what's next? Next up, we have. Oh, actually, real fast, we we kind of mm-hmm. missed, maybe you were going to bring this back around, but for red-white, we kind of missed talking about their, like, hidden mythic uncommon in Season Holiday. Oh, right. That's right. We wanted to talk about this with uh, with both of these decks, because it's fantastic in either. Seasoned Hollowblade. You know, this is probably the best uncommon in the set. I don't, I don't know if I feel totally confident saying that this early in the format, but... um. I think it is underdrafted. It is absolutely fantastic. And if you haven't played with or against it, it, it's just an absolute beating. If you've ever put a dub on it, which I think is a begrudging playable in this format, or um, Fear of the Bitten if you're in red, if you manage to get that on a Halloblade or something like a 1-1 counter if you're in green-white, or something like, uh, I don't know, maybe even pumping it with a Sure Strike as backup or uh, keeping open a Feet of Resistance, you feel like you cannot lose. I have had games with turn to Hallowblade where I never played my fourth land because all I needed was the Hallowblade. It, it becomes uh, this unstoppable attacker that if you need to, you can even block with it. The best the opponent can do is you know, spend a kill spell to tap it for a turn. That's not going to you know, swing the race uh, too much. Yeah, think about how like selfless savior, the one mana one one that you can sack to give another target creature indestructible. How mm-hmm. how often that card blanks attacks from your opponent or just blanks their removal altogether? Hallowblade does that repeatedly on a three one. <laughs> yeah, and needs no other cards to be good except cards in hand, I guess. Well, that's the thing. Hallowblade opens up the ability for you to trade, you know, cards in hand for your opponent's onboard presence. So uh, while you are, you know, you're still one for wanting, you're still attacking with this 3-1, 4-1, or, you know, could be bigger, 4-2, 5-3. You're getting in with this, you know, beater. And you're trading, you know, a land or a five drop that you haven't put any mana or time into casting 
and trading that for something like a 2-2 or a 3-3 that they had a card for and a uh, a turn of casting. So you're getting this uh, not only a card advantage, but a bit of a tempo advantage too. For sure. Yeah, super strong card. Pick them. Play them. <laughs> All right, that brings us on to red-black sacrifice. Um, the signpost uncommon for this uh, archetype is Dire Fleet Warmonger, which Ben mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, it's one black red for a 3 3 orc pirate at uncommon. At the beginning of combat on your turn, you may sacrifice another creature. If you do, Dire Fleet Warmonger gets plus two plus two and gains trample until end of turn. So, notably, you can't do this multiple times, mm-hmm. right? If you're attacking, it just beginning of combat, you can sack one other creature, and if you do, it gets plus two plus two. So, without other effects, he can just attack as a 5 5, but it has trample. And you are sacking your other creatures, but that kind of yeah. is what this deck wants to be doing, right? If you have something like um, uh, the the Jester, Havoc Jester, you know, mm. you're kind of doing the thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, I like I said, I did have a deck that had two of these. It was a pretty solid black-red deck, but this format is kind of lacking on Sacrifice Fodder. Uh, pretty much everything that you'd usually want to be sacrificing to it, you'd rather just be attacking with. Um, I mean, sometimes you'll be able to sack the uh, the Thalad you get off a, a Death Bloom, or the, the Sapling, rather, you get off a Death Bloom Thalad. But, um, you know, stuff like your your Magmuts and your Arsonists, even. Arsonists attacks and trades for most two drops, some three drops. Like, oftentimes, yeah. you'd rather just be swinging in. I don't know. This deck feels like it's it's missing maybe one or two commons that are you know really good sacrifice fodder and then even this can can this competes with something like hobble fiend true yeah so let's get into the the commons uncommons so we have some of the some of the main red uh comments and uncommons you want to be looking out for are chandra's magma goblin arsonist uh heartfire immolator traitorous greed and hobble fiend traitorous greed's a good one Mm -hmm. because um surprising i think i overlooked this card way too much i'm I'm, i think i'm a little too low on this card i should probably bring my evaluation of this card up a bit but Mm -hmm. um in this deck you know it lets you it's it's a threat and effect you get to steal their creature you get your mana back and then you can just sack it to any of the other good like sack outlets like if you have a hobble fiend on on field on the field and traitorous greed like you it's just a clunky removal spell i guess but (laughs) you get some mana back so yeah, this often can swing games. Um, a pretty common scene in this format is uh, all of your opponent's creatures just attacked and they played like a 5 out of 5 5. And uh, you're both at 10. Traitorous Greed will win you that game. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and then we have the, the black commons and uncommons that you want to look out for Liliana's Devotee, uh, Village Rights. Which is Cauldron, Crypt Lurker, and probably the best sacking fodder in the in the format, Deathbloom Thalad. Mm-hmm. This guy's always around. I've been really impressed with the Devotee, actually. The uh, two and a black for a human warlock, it's a two three. Zombies get plus one plus oh. And at the beginning of your end step, if a creature died this turn, you can pay one of the black and you get a two two zombie. So this actually has some pretty great combos. This is one of the best ways to enable something like the Dire Fleet Wormonger or Witch's Cauldron can combo great with this. Um, Hobble Fiend. Because, you know, you'll sacrifice, you know, something. Uh, a random token or something you've got laying around. Then that starts the train rolling. And from there, it's pretty hard to interrupt. Then you can start, you know, you'll attack with your 3-2 zombie, which, you know, sometimes it'll get in, sometimes not. Um uh, 
If it gets in, great. If not, sack it to the Hobble Fiend before damage. And then uh, at the end step, Devotee just triggers again, and you get to do it the next turn. This can draw you an extra card a turn with Witch's Cauldron. Uh, it can help you filter your hand with Crypt Lurker. There's some pretty good tricks you can do with this. I think it enables a lot of the, uh, the tricks in the black decks, especially Black Red. Yeah, I think this is one of those big s- signal cards. If you get past the Devotee early, or even especially late, actually, if you get past this card, you probably want to move into this, this, this archetype because this is one of the best ways to enable the archetype. Also, notably, the card says if a creature died this turn. You can't chump block mm-hmm. when this card's on the field. Yeah, yeah. That I've, I've noticed some, uh, a lot of formatting is interesting in this format. A lot of stuff happens on your end step. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the black-green signpost on common we'll get to in, in a little bit does this as well. Uh, there's a handful of commons that, that also do this. So really, stuff is focused around your attack step. Right, yeah, that's kind of to prevent your... It's it's to prevent your opponents from feeling like they can't attack anymore, I think, mm. is, like, the main design thing there. Um, because if, if, it, if it triggers on my end step, then my opponent can attack and lose creatures without worrying about it. Yeah. Also, this thing does uh, buff zombies plus one, plus oh, not oh one, as if we needed any more hints as to what you're supposed to do with this format True. in this deck. Yep. Right, right. so... uh. Next, we've got... Oh, man. You want to take this one? I don't want to talk about this. I do. I love this deck. Go nuts. Blue-red spells. Ugh. Signpost Uncommon here. One of my favorite cards in a while, actually, is Experimental Overload. Mm -hmm. It's a uh, two blue-red for a sorcery at Uncommon. You created an XX blue and red weird creature token, where X is the number of instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard. Then you may return an instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand, Exile Experimental Overload. So you cast this, yeah. like, I don't know, turn five, turn six. Hopefully have, like, a 4-4, four, four, and then you get your best instant or sorcery back. Like, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, this is pretty good. Um, the blue-red deck seems to be one of the strongest, if not the strongest, in the format. I've seen, you know, the blue-red prowess creatures do some pretty scary things. Yeah, I think I think blue-red spells is definitely the front runner for best deck in the format at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um some of the best commons and uncommons you want to be looking out for are Teferi's Tutelage, Roaming Ugh. Ghostlight, Shipwreck Dowser. Uh, Mistral Singer is pretty good as um, just a, a solid creature for this deck. You don't really want to run too many creatures, I found, but especially not if you pick up a Tutelage or something. Um, hmm. But Mistral Singer fills that role pretty well. Also, Wall of Runes is solid in this deck, but again, you want to kind of lean more aggressive with this archetype, and Wall of Runes doesn't do that. Um <laughs> what you never attacked with the wall runes before oh i have it just hasn't been effective <laughs> um also opt probably i don't know top three blue commons like opt is yeah, really solid in this format. Up there. um in red we have goblin wizardry this is exactly the kind of card this deck wants uh it gets you creatures so you don't have to waste your card slots in the deck on creatures um <laughs> it's and it's an incident sorcery and the creatures you get um or they have prowess, so they get big. Um, Kinetic Augur, Scorching Dragonfire, of course. Spellgorger Weird, of course. And Thrill of Possibility. Yeah, a friend had asked me uh, what I thought of M21. And I sent him a picture of Goblin Wizardry. And I said, does this look fun? So, you should play it. If this looks like it's awful, you might not have a great time. So he's playing a lot of this format, then? Uh, no comment. 
anyway, I think uh, I actually do really like roaming ghostlight. Oh, this is a huge so man of war. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think um, Spellgorger Weird is also an all star in this uh, in this deck too. But really, you know, you'll notice the theme here: your creatures tend to grow the more instants and sorceries you play. So Kinetic Augur doesn't have prowess, but you can do some similar tricks with that as you would any any other prowess creature. Uh, Heartfire Immolator is also pretty good in that it's just a two mana two two with uh, prowess, and then every once in a while you'll get to you know sacrifice it and use it as a as a kill spell. Mm-hmm. Right. So next is something a bit more my speed. We've got a black white life gain with indulging patrician as our our signpost. It's one white black for a vampire noble. It's a one for flying lifelink. And at the beginning of your end step, if you gain three or more life this turn, each opponent loses three life. Yeah, that is, that's much better. Okay, real quick, can I tell you a story about this card? Yeah, okay, go for it. Okay, so I was playing, um, I think I was playing, it was either the white-green deck that we did the the what's the pick on, or it was a different uh, white-red deck. But I was mm-hmm. playing this aggressive deck against somebody who was playing black-white. They dropped a turn three Indulging Patrician, and then they equipped it with, or uh, sorry, not equipped it, but they enchanted it with um, one of the big pump, maybe it was a dub or something, I can't remember. They ended up giving it flying, and on turn- It already has flying, what are you talking about? Oh, sorry, yes, you're right, you're right. They they pumped it a bunch, and um, they were able to get it to like a 10x, I don't remember, I just know I had 10 power. (laughs) Jeez. And then they attacked with it, and I swift responsed, and they they just lost. The, like, they had no other creatures on board. They were <laughs> stuck on, like, four mana or something. And I was like, they really cool, just, they just I guess. Into it. Yeah, I was like, cool, I guess. But now you're dead. I have five creatures on the board. and All right. So maybe stacking this thing with a million auras isn't the best way to go about playing this deck. But, you know, if we start using Dies to Doomblade as our bar, then we're going to say that nothing's ever played. No, you're right? right, you're right. It was just a really fun circumstance. Why don't you yeah. bring us into how you should be building this deck? Yeah, right. So, um, something notable about this, it requires you to gain three or more life this turn, and a lot of other cards trigger off that as well. Well, this is a 1-4 flying lifelink. Uh, oftentimes, you're going to be able to attack with this. Um, that means, of course, you only need to gain two life besides this to trigger it at the end step. So look for ways you can, you know, gain two. Uh, you've got stuff like Anointed Chorister, if you are able to put a counter on that and swing in. Bash's Acolyte triggers on its own. Fate's Fetters, you know, that'll get everything all the time. And uh, even Selfless Savior is good to be able to let your, you know, lifelinkers swing in, even though they're sometimes a little more uh, small in stats. The Savior can make sure that it's going to be able to get in, you know, possibly trade with the creature, and really that opponent creature is trading with the savior instead of, you know, your acolyte or your chorister. So Griffin Airy is another uh, build around in this format. Have played with it a handful of times. If you can get one flyer off of this, two mana, two, two flyer, fine. You're gaining life, so you often have time to, uh, you know, build around this and, and get your, you know, pieces together. And if you start getting two or three, two, two flyers off this, it's going to be pretty hard to lose. In black, you've got Blood Gutten, which is able to trigger these things on its own. Deathbloom Thalid, which is just going to be fantastic in the black deck. Uh, Silver Smote Ghoul, which is a very tricky, uncommon, outstanding design. This is two and a black for a zombie vampire. Like, come on. It's both. That's awesome. It's a 3-1. 
And at the beginning of the end step, if you gain three or more life, you bring it back tapped. And you can pay one of the black to sack it, draw a card. I have gotten got by this card, and it is... It's, 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 I, I just love this card. It's so cool. The design is, is fantastic. Awesome design. I actually saw it, you know, I, I hate to do this, but if we jump into constructed mode for a little bit, I saw a, a, a standard kind of dredge deck that was playing Euro and this and ways to, you know, mill stuff into the graveyard. It was really cool. Hmm. Uh, and finally, uh, Tavern Swindler. This thing, uh, for people that aren't very good at math, you know, this is a, a net neutral card. The joke is you pay three life, flip a coin, and if you win the flip, you gain six. Well, half the time you'd expect to win, half the time you'd expect to lose, so you net out at kind of even. So that being said, uh, that does nothing else. Well, it does enable your <laughs> life gain cards. Uh, plus, you got a little bit of RNG going on. Every once in a while, you'll string together three losses or three wins. So you might not want to activate this when you're at, say, five. Of course, sometimes you have to activate this when you're at five, and it ends up you know, buying you an extra turn. It's a fun little thing. But uh, I'd also like to give a shout-out to Radiant Fountain. It's just a land, enters the battlefield, gains you two life. That'll trigger Indulging Patrician and a lot of these other things if you're swinging in and you know, getting that, that three life. Is Radiant Fountain actually worth running in these decks, though? Like, I, I feel like Radiant Fountain's a trap. It is a bit of a trap. Um, if you're playing two or three Basri's Acolytes, you might want to th- rethink it. But I-, I found it's potentially playable in this. I-, I think I'd like to try it out a bit more myself before I decide, but I wouldn't run more than two. Maybe if you pick up one or two, uh, two tap lands. The, uh, I think it's Scoured Barons is the black-white one. Mm-hmm. I'd feel comfortable running this, especially because tap lands also gain you life. That way, if you play, you know one of each in the same turn, a Radiant Fountain and a Scoured Barons, you just gain your three life right there. It's perfect. Ben, ben you, you can only play one land a turn. Unless you've got like, <laughs> no, no, Azusa you, or something. You're splashing for Azusa. That's the trick. Oh, I see, I see. And then you can uh, actually play it in the, whatever. Uh, uh, one last little shout out to Sanctum of Stonefangs. Um, this is a pretty scary two-drop. Some aggro decks will look at this on turn two and look at their hands and say, well, I don't know if I can race this is not only is it draining your opponent, but it's gaining you that two life. You can think of this as a two-mana, one-one, unblockable, hexproof lifelink. That's probably a pretty good card. I guess it's a little worse than that because you can't pump it, but still. I've been pretty impressed with the black-white deck. Um, I found that it can... Yeah, I can. I found that it can stabilize the board pretty well. It's not one of the the top archetypes or anything. I but, honestly uh, feel like white-black's kind of a trap. I don't think I've ever seen it come together in a way that... Wow, really? Yeah, I, I've seen... Okay, the one deck that was doing the Silver Smoke Ghoul thing, uh, mm-hmm. they also had a, um, uh, a Liliana's Devotee. That deck got me, yeah. and I, okay. I'll give it to them. But I don't know. I feel like this deck... like Black is probably the worst color in this format. A lot of the commons just don't really do anything, and I feel like a lot of the payoffs for the game life thing kind of aren't there. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I haven't played with the deck. Uh, I don't know. It just seems like it's it's not all there. Yeah, I think it ends up functioning. We've been talking a lot about how to trigger the, the signpost uncommon, which is kind of our focal point for today. But this deck functions more as a good mid-range deck. Um, if you're playing Bastard's Acolytes and Deathbloom Thalids, that's just like, you know, good cards in, in, a, in a shell that'll occasionally trigger this life gain stuff. 
Silver Smoke Ghoul, even if you never get it back from the graveyard, I'd probably still play a three mana three one with the sack ability that it has. Uh, and then you're you know also have little uh, little things like the Anointed Chorister or the Blood Glutton and help you race through the uh, the late game if you're you know trying to gain life to keep your opponent from just killing you outright on the backswing. Now, it's fine. I'd like to try it out a little more before I make a decision on it, but I- I've had fun with it. That's fair. I guess I, I should probably try to play with it too before I start making accusations like that, but I just haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. You want to run us up with the next one? This is more your speed as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Red, green, big power matters, four power matters. We'll call it power. Uh, the signpost is Leafkin Avenger. So uh, this is two red, green for a four, three elemental druid. You can tap add green for each creature you control with power four or greater, and you can pay seven and a red with Leafkin Avenger deals damage equal to its power to target player or planeswalker. So, uh, if you remember, what was it, Leafkin Druid from a, a few sets ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah, someone lit it on fire. He's mad now. He's big. He's, he's back for more. So, uh, this thing by itself is a great body. This is a 4-mana 4-3 that taps your mana. This will let you cast your 6 drops or 7 drops, which some of these decks can actually do. And then if you ever find yourself in a position where you have that much mana but nothing to cast, you can just start activating it, doming your opponent for four. You won't really be pumping this that often to you know, you know, hit them for more than that, but I could see a situation where you, I don't know, attack with this, sure strike it, and then activate post-combat in the really late game. But that's not really what it's for. Anywho, some of the, uh, the top ten for this you want to be on the lookout for. I'm going to start with Furious Rise and Garrick's Uprising. These two fill a very similar role. Uh, they both kind of provide this one extra card turn-ish card advantage on average. Uh, Furious Rise triggers if you have a creature with power forward greater at your end step, and Garrick's Uprising triggers when it comes in, and then when a four-power creature comes in. So these both kind of keep your hands stocked, and if you can chain together four-power creatures, uh, this is just going to be great. Other yeah. stuff to think about in red... Uh, Commons that can enable these guys. Something like Onaki Ogre, Turret Ogre, uh, Gnarled Sage, and then uh, ways to get a creature with power four, so sometimes they can you know, enable other cards too, like Citessen Training or Burlfist Oak. Uh, we also have Volcanic Geyser as a great way to finish out the games. Uh, if you can get yourself to you know, seven or eight mana, you can usually just target your opponent with this. Scorching Dragonfire, of course, also an all-star in this deck. And uh, finally, Drowsing Tyranodon. It is still fine and playable in this deck. Slapping a Satessa training on it will still let you attack with it, but uh, there's not as many ways to get it up to four power by itself. Usually in this deck, you're attacking with this thing after you play a different creature with four power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've been relatively happy with this deck. Garrick's Uprising is phenomenal. Um, better than Fury's Rise, I would say, but both are very good and if you can get the four powered creatures this, this deck comes together you also got scorching dragon fire which is all and uh soul seer and, and all the other amazing removal spells that red has in this format mm-hmm. so uh yeah it's you can also look for the uh some you know extra card draw matters themes so garrick's uprising I, i'd agree is probably a little bit better in this deck for that um given that it triggers stuff like your Burlfist oak and your gnarled sage whereas furious rise does not very true. Um, this where do you, where do you put this with the with the aggro decks? This is kind of a slower, oh, yeah. like more mid rangey deck. Does this work well in this sort of more aggressive leaning format? 
Uh, I found this one can be hit or miss. Um, I think that when you're waiting to play something like a a five mana four four, uh, even if with you know some kind of upside or a a four mana two three and Burlfist Oak, I'm talking about the the tree folk here. Sometimes your opponent has just curved out really well, and the kind of case I mentioned earlier, these things are awful at blocking. Four mana two three. If your opponent has a three three, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> even these guys want to be attacking pretty much all the time. So this ends up being a, a bit of a slower, more mid-rangey deck. I think it can come together, but uh, I think it does often lose to the more directly aggressive red and white decks. Very true. I was saying this next one is uh, is very much your speed. I, I think we've got... I'm going to take a guess and say this is your favorite card in the set. Is our signpost for the next one? Yeah, absolutely. It's one of my favorite cards in Magic, full stop. Uh, this is blue-green draw. Yeah. Uh, or blue-green draw two, I guess. Um, the signpost uncommon is lore scale quaddle. Uh, it's one green blue for a two, two snake at uncommon. Whenever you draw a card, put a one, one counter on lore scale quaddle. Absolutely phenomenal. All I want to be doing is drawing cards <laughs> and half the time. I don't even care if those cards do anything. I just want to draw more cards and, and this guy just gets huge. Uh, you know, you, you play this on three, you pass the turn, it survives, it comes back to you. Suddenly it's a three, three. Then you play like a tutelage into an opt, and you're just you're just doing it. He's a five five, and you're milling your opponent. It's just phenomenal. This is a a one two punch with rousing read. Oh yeah, rousing read is phenomenal as well. Definitely one of the top commons and uncommons, even though we didn't put it on this list for some reason. Meh. Um, take out frantic inventory. Yeah, for sure. Well, absolutely. Also no, it absolutely, it absolutely should be though. Uh, rousing read is one of the better commons. Definitely top five commons, I think in in. Uh, blue in this format um but other yeah, commons and uncommons you want to be looking for are teferi's tutelage once again since you're drawing lots of cards tutelage really fits in this deck uh reign of revelation roaming ghostlight and teferi's protege opt again um yeah they're just phenomenal cards anything that draws you cards is going to be good um and you don't quite care as much about the um spell density as like the blue red deck but you want to be drawing cards and you want to have payoffs for drawing cards mm -hmm. um, in green you have burlfist oak which i think is much better in this deck than it is in the green red deck yeah um, agreed line of war visionary which also belongs in the green red deck but um this draws you a card it nets you like it lets you tap for mana you ramp a little bit it's, it's pretty good um track down smooths your draws as well and helps you to get more cards in hand um, gnarled sage and Stetson Training as well. All, all the green cards that draw you cards. Hunter's Edge is also quite good. And um, I don't really want to play Tra Drowsing Tyranodon in this deck. Um, you don't really care about getting four mana or four power creatures. You just yeah. care about drawing cards. Mm -hmm. Definitely agree. Brolfist Oak is much better when it's attacking as like a 6 7. Well, also, you can block with it and just hold an op opt in hand. And if they use a combat trick or anything of that nature, you just cast your opt it pumps and they lose like you two yeah. for one. Well, i guess you you don't yeah, have that's two good. for uh, yeah that, that's a two for one if you keep yeah, the ochre yeah, that's good. A two for one. let's um, see what have we got next Ooh, yeah, you can, this you can is take a this fun one. one so this is a uh, blue white skies which is not you know anything new for blue white but uh this one has some tricks so we got watcher of the spheres white and blue for a two two flying bird wizard uh creature spells of flying cast you cast cost one less to cast. 
Yeah, that's a tongue twister. What, what are you doing, wizards? Whenever another creature with flying ETPs, you get a uh, watch of the spheres gets plus one plus one until end of turn. So this is sometimes like a, a two mana two two flying. You play a flying creature the next turn. The next turn it attacks as a three three both times. That's a fine little beater. Now uh, we've also got you know some options as to what's going to be the thing coming in and pumping it. Mistral Singer is great for that. Uh, if you go higher up on the curve, Roaming Ghostlight. Now, Roman Ghostlight is a great combo with our, our Watcher of the Spheres here. Ghostlight is great as a 5-drop, but as a 4-drop, it's even better. Uh, of course, you also want to be looking for ways to interact with your opponents as you're trying to do this little tempo-y plan. I found Frost Breath is actually pretty playable in this deck. Uh, tapping down something like their their one flyer or their reach creature like Gnarled Sage or something can, can help you get in for those last few points of damage. Uh, Capture Sphere is a fantastic blue removal spell. And, uh, you know, there's actually a control magic in this format that we haven't talked about yet. Enthralling Hold. This card has taken, you know, some unwinnable games and made them very winnable. And it has also taken some games that you felt like you couldn't possibly lose and, you know, just taken them right out from under you. Yeah, I've actually never seen it played, but uh, I'll take your word for <laughs> Lucky it. Lucky you. Uh, I actually had an, a fantastic black-red deck uh, that had two copies of uh, what's that guy called? The Instigator. Go Goblin Instigator? What, what's its name? The Rare? The 5-mana 1-1 one, one Indestructible? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I can't remember the name, but it's something like that, yeah. Yeah, whatever it is. Uh, that thing is incredible against you know, any kind of deck playing creatures. And it, the opponent, he just enthralling hold it. And I was like, all right, what am I, what am I supposed to do now? Uh, my, my best ground blocker is gone. Um, now they can start like, activating it using my stuff. Stealing bombs with this is a, a great way to win the game. In mm -hmm. white, we've got some stuff like Concordia Pegasus, Gale Swooper. This deck doesn't always get there on flyers in its own right. So don't be afraid to play you know, little things that give your creatures flying to help you know, get in for the last few points of damage. Celestial Enforcer is best in this deck. Uh, where you can activate it pretty reliably. And even Gaggle Master, uh, the, the goose is loose. Oh this thing gosh. can come down turn five, and uh, sometimes it'll just gain you six, eight life. And uh, finally, Angelic Ascension. This is a very fun card. Uh, I found often that if you leave a mana for it, your opponent won't know whether you're holding up something like a, uh, uh, a pump spell or some way to save one of your, your creatures or... It can be a little hard for them to tell. It looks a lot like you're holding up Feet of Resistance. But if they point a kill spell at one of your creatures, you end up just with a 4-4 Angel instead. This thing, I've occasionally played this on turn 2, on a 1-1, one -one, and just started smacking for 4 in the air a turn. Yeah, that's not too bad. That that I don't I think I've ever seen that play pattern, but that definitely upgrades your 1-drop. Your yeah, think of it. Um, let's say you're in, you're in red-white and you have the 1-1 one, one that dies into a, a ping. Would you play a 1 and a white 4-4 four, four flying angel that says, e as it ETBs, sack a creature? Yeah. I would. Yeah, yeah, you're playing that. Yeah. And, oh, and it has flat, speed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even better. Um, you can get a lot of interesting tricks out of this. Uh, ambushing a flying attacker, or you know, drawing this late when they're at 4, and you're like, all right, well, I guess I just win. Yeah, but you hit the nail on the head. Angelic Ascension is supposed to target your own creatures. It doesn't have to, but mm -hmm. it should be. 
<laughs> I have never cast this on an opponent's creature. No, I, there's there are very few, especially given like the low power ceiling in this format. There are very sure if they have a Bane Slayer Angel, yeah, you probably <laughs> want to jail even... like Ascension that. But yeah, like it's it a slight downgrade even... to their Bane, Bane Slayer. But otherwise, there aren't yeah. very many good targets where you're like, if I if I Angelic Ascension this creature on my opponent's side of the battlefield, I'm getting ahead. Like <laughs> generally, you're just shape. upgrading their creature. So cast it on your stuff. Would you cast it on an opponent's Ugin? That's a question. Uh, probably. You. If you're, but, you're behind on board, you're never attacking it down. Yeah, probably. But the thing is... See, the Planeswalker clause on this is kind of tricky because Planeswalkers get to be effective before you ever get to cast this. Yeah. So even if they play their Ugin, they're still plussing or minusing or whatever and, and getting value out of the Ugin before you give them a 4-4 flyer. Mm-hmm. I think I agree. If if your opponent had something like a Baneslayer or a Gourmand and they were playing like black white and you knew they were gonna be reanimating it in some way, exiling does get rid of it for good. That's true. Hmm. I, I probably wouldn't I, I think your best bet would be to uh, I don't know. I mean read read the situation. Never have to do that. Yeah, read the situation, yeah. but ninety nine percent of the time you want to cast this on your own stuff. If your opponent's playing Baneslayers and you know, reanimating them and doing other stuff like that, y- you've got problems. <laughs> yeah yeah speaking good, of reanimating yeah here you go this is a sweet deck yeah so next up we have blue black reanimator this kind of like we mentioned a little earlier is basically the only real control deck that has any legs in this format signpost mm-hmm. uncommon is obsessive stitcher one blue black for a zero three human wizard at uncommon it has two activated abilities the first is tap draw a card then discard a card so pretty solid and a real rooter yeah great yeah, and uh, the next uh, ability is two blue-black tap, sacrifice obsessive stitcher, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Mm-hmm. This so is a what solid this play pattern, drop. Yeah, what this play pattern often looks like, play this on turn three. Turn four, uh, if it's not already in your graveyard, you loot with it to get something in. Turn five, you crack it. You've got like a turn five, eight, eight, or nine, nine, or, you know, eight, six, or... Five seven or whatever your your choice is. Yeah, the uh, the hexproof whale five seven hexproof on five. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Yeah, you, you've got options. Uh, what are some of the good you know other commons and uncommons going to be slotting in with this? Yeah, thing? so you have a lot of the same stuff we've been talking about: reign of revelation, Teferi's protege. Um, any of the loot effects are really really good here because the whole idea is to get your big chunky guys in. Uh, the graveyard so you can cast them from the graveyard uh, for for much cheaper Um, you also have some of the prowess cards like Jeskai Elder um, just fantastic that also loots so you know it's doing kind of two for one there Um, Vidalcan Arcanist and Waker of Waves is one of the bigger uh, reanimation targets that you want to see it's a a five blue blue for a seven seven creatures your uh, opponents control get minus one minus oh and then it has the activated ability of one blue discard waker of waves look at the top two cards of your library put one of them into your hand and the rest in your graveyard yeah that's so, great so yeah this is doing the waker of waves especially is doing everything that this deck wants to be doing it lets it discard itself and put other cards in your graveyard mm-hmm. like i don't know it's just it's like somehow better cycling Kind of. Yeah, it's got a little strictly better cycling clause. Although, I guess deck. sometimes you clear about cycling. But yeah, for this, it dumps itself in something else. And if you ever get to like slam this, 
this is great. For people that haven't experienced playing against the minus one minus O clause before, it is so much better than it looks. Once again, explaining what this format is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, in black, we have cards like Gormand, Fetid Imp, Carrion Grub, Archfiend's Vessel, which this is like the only deck you're playing that card in, basically, uh, mm-hmm. and Rise Again, amongst any other really like raised dead effect. I have a rant. Oh boy, go for it. <laughs> you ready? I'm ready. Archfiend's Vessel. So this is one black for a 1-1 lifelink. Uh, and when it enters the battlefield, if it entered from the graveyard, or you cast it from the graveyard, uh, you exile it and you get a 5-5 black demon with flying instead. <sighs> I see this played, I think, a bit more than it should be. In this deck um, specifically or just all across the board? I don't know. So, so hear me out. What this ends up being is a 1-mana one 1-1 one, one lifelink most of the time. That's fine. It's not a great card. If you ever get to rise again in this, you're paying 5 mana and a card for a 5-5 five, five flying, which is a pretty good rate, especially in this format too. But you had to go through a lot of setup to get there. You had to make sure the vessel was in the graveyard. You had to make sure your rise again didn't get you know, milled or you actually drew it. Or uh, you had to make sure you didn't rise again and spend your one copy on something else, uh, like uh, something smaller like a, or even something bigger like a Waker of Waves. I don't know. This just feels like a five mana five five flyer with really high setup cost. I don't. I haven't settled whether or not that's good enough or not. I think yeah. it's a cute thing to have in your deck as an option, and maybe that makes the vessel worth playing in any case. But something about this just—it it feels bad. Maybe in most formats this wouldn't be good enough, but perhaps in this format that's just janky enough to work. No, I'm I'm with you. I don't I don't really think Archfiend's Vessel is a great card. Uh, I'm pretty reluctant to play it in it. I'm, I'm not playing it in any deck besides this one, and I'm pretty reluctant to play it even in this one. I They're think you want to be targeting... Dragons. Yeah, you'd rather be playing, like, reanimating Gourmand. It's essentially also just a 5-5 demon if you care about the flavor that much. Plus, it makes your opponent sack a creature. Right. Yeah, and then, it, like like we said earlier, you've got Waker Waves, you've got the 5-7 Hexproof. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you've just got better targets. Yeah. Overall, though, this deck is is very good. Uh, this can stabilize the early game. It actually has some decent blockers. Stuff like Carry and Grub can, you know, get down there in front of these three mana three twos and keep them back for a few turns, especially if you mill over something big. All right, uh, Ben, why don't you bring us home with Green Black Morbid? Right. Uh, last, but you know, may- maybe least as much <laughs> as it pains me to say. We've got my personal favorite color combo in Magic, green-black. And uh, I hate to say it, but, you know, as this is usually a good stuff pile. And the stuff in this deck is just not that good. <laughs> uh, that being said, it does have a pretty great signpost on common. So this is Twin Blade Assassins. Three black-green for a 5-4 elf assassin. Beginning of your end step, if a creature died this turn, draw a card. <sighs> it, it does feel good to see draw a card printed on a yeah, black-green 5-4. Uh, you get I to, feel offended. No, no, it, it's good. I, I like this guy. That being said, it's a 5-4, which is a very weird pair of stats in this format. Again, it would rather be attacking. It trades down with your 4 power. I don't know. This thing trades with an Onaki Ogre. Yep. That doesn't feel good. This thing gets to capitalize on all of the card draw synergies that Green has. And uh, 
it doesn't work out that well sometimes. You draw a card at your end step, so even though you do trigger your, you know, uh, your druids and, and your things like that, the big tree folk that gets vigilance and some of the other things, eh, you're not doing it on combat or at the beginning of your upkeep or anything. You don't really get value out of it. But uh, that being said, every once in a while, you'll stick a bunch of overstatted green and black cards together and you'll, you'll get a good deck out of it. Something like War into the Woods, Thrashing Brontodon, Truffle Snout, uh, Sabretooth Mauler has a similar end step trigger. Notably, these both trigger on your end step. So if you've got something like a Grasp of Darkness, you probably want to use it on your turn. Uh, that way you get the trigger off both of these. Yeah, Sabretooth Mauler is uh, another one that's like, mm -hmm. it's any, any creature. It doesn't have to be a creature you control or your opponent controls. So if you're trading something in combat on your turn, you know, that works too. Yeah, notably this does make trades more advantageous for you. That being said, if uh, if you do that, you want to wait and play your Twin Blade after combat, so you know they don't see the card that you're about to draw. Uh, last green card I want to talk about here is Canopy Stalker. This thing never really found a home, and it is a little too clunky and and you know easy to kill to really you know make it in most decks, but it can sometimes make it here if you have some four power combos or if you have a big enough board and somehow you are able to maneuver so that they only have one creature, you can swing in, that creature has to block the stalker, and you get in for a bunch of damage. That being said, it trades with almost literally everything in the format. This is not usually going to make your deck. Uh, but some black cards that will, Deathbloom, Thalid, Gourmand, Fed of the Imp, Devotee, uh, and then a card that we haven't talked about too much is Crypt Lurker. This is a 3 and a black for a 3-4, and when it enters the battlefield, you can sack a creature or discard a card. And if you do, you draw a card. Or sorry, discard a creature card, and if you do, you draw a card. So this is a, a fine little body. 4 mana, 3-4, ends up being able to block a good amount of stuff. You won't always block with it, but uh, you know, it's not great at attacking either, so I don't know what you're going to do. Sometimes this will let you cash in a Sapperling token or a creature that has a Faith Fetters on it, and you'll feel pretty good about the exchange. Yeah, that's fair. It's also good in the red-black deck, as we mentioned before. But um, yeah, I kind of agree with you. I don't feel like this deck just... It just doesn't get there very much. Like, mm -hmm. this is one of the... It, it feels like this deck should have a lot of synergy, and it just doesn't most of the time. Yeah, I was actually pretty excited to play a deck that had two Twin Blade Assassins in it. Uh, as a, a green-black mage at heart, I was, you know, over the moon. I was like, oh, this is going to be easy, right? Even with a bunch of Grasp of Darkness, sometimes I was just dead before I got to do anything. You really have to be able to stabilize early. I, I like Thrashing Brontodon in this deck a lot, actually, because it is very overstated for its, its price. Mm -hmm. Because people are often attacking with, like, stuff like Bolt Hound. It is just a 3-mana 2-2. Two -two. Brontodon will usually be able to eat that safely. Yeah, for sure. That being said, I think this is definitely one of the weaker archetypes in the set. Um, bottom three, for sure. Speaking of, uh, what... I guess let's let's recap and, and uh, bring sort of this section of the cast home a bit. So we have mm -hmm. green-black morbid. We have blue-black reanimator. We've got blue-white skies blue green draw two red green power matters white black life gain blue red spells red black sack white green counters aggro and red white aggro mm -hmm. so of those 
What's your favorite? What are you looking to... I mean, you're not looking to draft anything specific, hopefully, because it's not how you should approach the draft table. <laughs> but what what if, if you're... If you could just draft any deck, which would it be? If I could just, you know, say I was going to wind up with the best version of a given deck and go nuts with it? Hmm. I want to say red-white. I feel like uh, curving magmuts into Spellgorger, into Bastard's Acolyte, into a few like tricks in hand, you're just going to win so many of those games and it's not even going to be close. Uh, I like the red and the white decks a lot. I think I like those the most. Uh, I'm pretty happy when I wind up in any of those, especially because some of the just overpowered commons that they got this time around. I haven't loved blue, although I will say the blue-red deck you know, is clearly good. Do I enjoy it? Nah. I don't love little little prowess dudes running around doing prowess things, but uh, I think that actually gets me into... My, ready? I'm putting the soapbox down again. Let me okay. just climb up on here out. real quick. Yeah, okay. So something about this format that I found very interesting is that the rares, not great on average. You're opening stuff like Rune Talo or you know the Taplands or Nine Lives or uh, you know th- these things that don't really do much. And there's always going to be these clunkers and sets, but usually the bulk rares, they have a pretty big impact on limited. And I think in this set, more so than anything, any recent sets in the maybe past few years, the bulkers don't really do much. They're often, you know, not really playables. Yeah, almost all of the bulkers in this set seem to be constructed plants. Yeah, uh, which is interesting, and it's fine because that's a necessary part of the game. But I got to say, I'm not excited to open packs. Like, when I, when I sit down at the draft, I'm kind of like, oh, man, will I open? Let's see. I want to hit, like, a Baneslayer or uh, a Masker Worm, or, uh, I don't know, a Baneslayer-esque card. Honestly, I'd probably put Season Talonblade up in that camp, too. Or I'm going to be pack one picking something like a Bastard's Acolyte, or yeah. a, a Grasp of Darkness, which are exciting, but I think an important part of the draft, and part of what makes it fun, is uh, the rare build-arounds. Sometimes you open something and you're like, oh, sweet, Like I get to do this now. Uh, think of Companion in the last set. All havoc that it wreaked on, you know, limited and constructed aside. The Companion mechanic was really fun because you're excited to see a Companion in your rare slot. Like, oh, cool, I get to do the Gyruda thing now, or I get to do the Lutri thing now. You don't get to do that in this set, do you? Not particularly. I think that's relatively common with core sets. You know, the whole idea is that it's easy for newer players to get into. Uh, they're more base as a whole they're kind of just like across the board more average but Mm -hmm. we've been really spoiled the last couple of years basically since (laughs) they brought core sets back all of them at like almost every set since the newest iteration of core sets i think m19 they've all been like home run grand slams what insert baseball analogy here i'm not a baseball fan um uh short stops (laughs) sure some left field i don't know (laughs) they've all been really really exciting to draft the rares are like wows you know we have a lot of cool bombs this format's fun because it's limited but it's not exciting there aren't exciting cards to draft. Even, I mean, you open an Ugin, you're excited about that, but mostly that's because it's a super yeah. expensive card. That you're <laughs> you like, opened a $50 bill, that's what. Right, and maybe not an arena, but you're at least 
excited to play it in constructed or something. I guess I don't mm-hmm. play constructed. Um, nah, Ugin has a, he has a home here. You can slam in a, in a blue white or a blue green, and you, you'll be fine. Oh no, no doubt about it. But you open like a Teferi. You're not even excited. Like that's maybe a C C plus in this format. Like, yeah, Teferi is not not that good. He's Azusa's, very beautiful limited. Azusa is not great in limited. You don't really want to be going big like that. Like Grim Tutor is not good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there just aren't exciting rares, and all the commons and uncommons are pretty lackluster as well. Like the most exciting cards in the format, I think, are barring like Baneslayer Angel and stuff of like the other maybe couple of cards: Baneslayer Angel, Ugin, Seasoned Hallowblade. Like the mm. most exciting cards are th- the signpost uncommons. Yeah, there's a steeper fall off than than usually is on. I guess of a graph of you know excitement and uh i guess set number or rarity i didn't think of my axes very well for this analogy but um i think the listeners will know what i mean when i say that uh yeah compared to a lot of sets you have to look deeper to find the the good stuff and like the little synergies here and there i think the reanimator deck is is one of these but uh again like you said the signpost is one of the the most fun things you could be doing in that deck i think that's that's interesting too uh, though i think that's something that gets overlooked with core sets, especially this one being that it's one of the lowest power level sets we've seen in a while. Mm-hmm. Just because the power level's low, I, I've actually found it pretty refreshing to seek out those, like like you were saying, those little syn- synergies, the like kind of micro synergies amongst cards that are kind of hard to find if you're not looking for them. Yeah, It makes the draft experience a lot more interesting than just like, well, that's a powerful card, I'm taking it. Mm-hmm. This is like, definitely one of those like build the deck, not, like draft the deck, not the card type formats. Yeah, like commons from previous sets, these ones all do interesting things. Lanor Visionary is a really interesting card. It's a mana dork. It draws you a card. That's that's kind of fun. But um, sometimes the the big flashy rares, they're just lacking from the set, and I think that uh, that's going to hurt my overall opinion of the set. But uh, you know. It's still fine and still pretty fun to to play. It's still limited magic, like you said. You just have to. I think I need to spend a bit more time playing this to really find the uh, find the joy. In it. <laughs> I think this set is an acquired taste, whereas we just got done. You know, uh, I don't probably know. one of the all time best formats in limited ever. I was gonna say like a plate of hamburgers. Yeah, I mean the same well, same the, thing. Yeah, um, acquired taste. What's a good acquired taste food? I don't know calamari maybe yeah maybe i don't know i guess sure I this is calamari to the, the last few you know burger buffets <laughs> sure um kind of to, to bring it back the my favorite archetype is blue red for sure give me all the teferi's tutelages let me draw all the cards even though that's not the draw deck like i just want to be casting instants and sorceries um fair enough let's cover real quick the front runners for best commons in each color We'll give the listeners a couple of extra tips and then we'll wrap this one up. Yeah, cool. So uh, best common in white, we currently have Bastard's Acolyte. This thing is great. Uh, Swift Kick is up there too, but um, I found that you don't always actually want to play that. Uh, sometimes these decks care a bit more about you know going wide than they do about necessarily taking down a, a racing creature. You'd rather be attacking yourself. Yeah. Uh, in blue, we have Roaming Ghostlight, 3 blue blue for the 3-2 flyer. When it enters the battlefield, return up to one target cre- non-spirit creature to its owner's hand. It's oh, just a incredible. Huge mana war. Yeah. 
In black, we've got Grasp of Darkness. This is black, black. Target creature gets minus four, minus four until end of turn. This kills almost everything. Just flat out, almost unconditional removal for two mana, albeit a little hard to cast at instant speed. This is just fantastic. Black decks will take everyone they see. Absolutely. Uh, for red, we have Scorching Dragonfire. One and a red instant at common. Scorching Dragonfire deals three damage to target creature or planeswalker. If that creature or planeswalker would die this turn, exile it instead. This is everything that red, anything that everything that any deck wants to be doing in this format. It kills yeah. almost everything. Like there are a few exceptions, but it kills just about everything, and it exiles them so the reanimator decks can't even reuse them. Mm-hmm. It's it's just it's just great. And finally, in green, we have Llanowar Visionary. Uh, it's a 3-mana 2-2 that ends up drawing you a card and tapping for mana. And uh, this will just enable so much of what green is trying to do with the interesting draw card synergies, often on you know 4 and 5 drops. Visionary helps you get there. And uh, I also have Drowsing Tyranodon pretty highly. Yeah, uh, It goes too. so well into so many of the, the archetype decks. Honestly, pack one, pick one. I think early in the format, I would have definitely taken the visionary, but we're starting to see the drowsy, sleepy dude slowly creep up. I wouldn't be surprised if at the end he ends up being the best green common. Yeah, I agree. It's it's close, and um, he's definitely up there. All right, Mm -hmm. so we've got a few tips we want to leave with you guys before we sign off. Um, The first of which, learn where the bad cards bad cards belong. As -hmm. we were talking about before. You can, you can definitely eke out an edge by understanding all the different micro synergies in this format. And as people start to solve the format and understand literally which deck is the best and what like what uh, you w- should be like pursuing, I guess, if you uh, are able to, if you can understand where the bad cards go, where the filler belongs, which is most of the set, you're going to have a huge edge on, on your competition. Yeah. So our second tip is uh, lean towards an aggressive deck that'll have you know some kind of creatures that pay you off for making it to the late game. Uh, something like the, the little guys that can pump themselves or, or ping the opponent down. Uh, these are mostly aggressively statted and whatnot, and uh, you know, sometimes you want to combine this with removal spells that let you get in with your aggressive creatures. A strategy that I found pretty effective is if you're playing a million two mana two twos and three drops and things like that, you can take some of the more uh, end curve, something like turn to slag, uh, any of the the expensive five drop removal spells in the format. That'll take out their you know five mana five five or four mana four four that they hope to stabilize with. Then you're attacking with your your little guys again. So having a good aggressive curve uh, with a good mix of cheap and expensive removal will will help you get you know a lot of free wins. For sure. Um, also, all the colors are pretty even, so you shouldn't feel like you need to avoid a specific color. I would say, in general, black is probably the weakest color, but it's close. Like, green can sometimes not get there either, but almost every deck can can get you a trophy. So mm-hmm. uh, you shouldn't feel like you need to avoid anything. Just draft what's coming your way. And uh, finally, always be attacking. Like, this, this format is super aggressive. If you can attack, get in. A lot of these cards pay you off for, you know, having chipped in at your opponent earlier. You'll find ways of, of closing out the game with damage directly to your opponent or things that tap down your opponent's board. These games can be pretty swingy, and if you're attacking and you're the aggressor, you'll find yourself ahead. 
that's going to do it for us this week. Thanks for listening, and uh, hopefully you were able to pick up something you can use in your next draft. Um, as always, you can contact the cast at um, draftchaffpod at gmail.com or at draftchaffpod on Twitter. Um, also, like I said, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash draftchaffpod, and our Discord channel as well. Um, we're, yeah, tweet at us. Yeah, we'd love to. We'd love to see your pack one pick ones and any what's the picks. Feel free to send those in, and we'll use them in the show. And oh, that'd be um, awesome! If you if you listened this far in the episode, first of all, uh, great job! I'll I'll personally send you a high five emoji on Twitter. Uh, but also, yeah, send us your stuff. Uh, if you have picks or questions or just want to talk or chat about this stuff, this is what we love doing to the point where we started the podcast about it. So. <laughs> going to talk about limited we're your guys for sure uh if you don't want to contact the podcast directly but would like to reach out to either of us you can find me at ranik galfordian on twitter and ben where can they find you you can find me at betafish one awesome that's gonna do it for us thanks everybody now hold on i happen to have a uh a, a, a something we haven't seen in a long time this is a pack of magic cards the legendary physical paper magic card. Physical magic, yeah. Do you remember when we played that, like, 10 years ago? Yeah, it was a while. Yeah, with uh, the current circumstances, pre-release wasn't really a thing. That being said, our local game store here was, uh, you know, kind enough to give us some prize packs to go with our pre-release kits, so we have a bit of a cracker pack that we're going to do just at the end here. Hold on, let me hold this up to the mic. That that's ASMR right there. I haven't actually heard that sound in literal months. Uh, it feels good, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's, it's been I'm a long only time. sad that I can't smell the the pack. <laughs> Do you hear that? I can't mistake oh. the flipping of cards. <laughs> All right, well let's uh, let's go through this and see what we can you know, pack one, pick one out of this. Got a library larcenist, sure strike, makeshift battalion, village rights. Citizen training. What do you think? What are you on so far? I think right now I'm taking the makeshift battalion. We got Sky Scanner. Cage Zombie. Ooh, here's a front runner. Spell Gorger Weird. Yep. Radiant Fountain. Truffle Snout. That's it for our commons. I'm on the weird here, I think. Yeah, same. I found Sky Scanner to be pretty underwhelming in this format. Which is very sad. I love the archetype of the three mana colorless one one that draws a card or gets a basic or does something like that. Yeah, I am just jamming the weird here so far. What are our uncommons? So first one we got Kitesail Freebooter. Uh, I found this to be really good in the Reanimator deck. Those that play a lot of cube or things like that know that you know this effect early game creature and hand interaction can be a great way to get to uh, the late game. Stuff like Brain Maggot and uh, Duress are, are pretty good in you know, different format reanimator versions. Next, we've got a Chrome Replicator. This Ooh. is a 5-out of 4 for uh, artifact. And if you control two things of the same name, two non-token things, my, my bad, you get a second 4-4 colorless construct. This guy sees two friends, and he's like, hey, I got a friend too. 5-mana for two 4-4s? Four it's nuts. Oh, it's crazy. Also... As a pack one pick one, you're picking a colorless card, which leaves you completely open. And as the first pick, it lets you draft around that getting two things with the same name as well. Yeah. I think that's a great pack one pick one. 
I think I'm on this right now, too. Next, we have Fierce Empath, which is not the best pack one pick one. Yeah, I'm off it. Uh, you'd, you'd rather pick up this after you have maybe two or three six drops already. Finally, our rare. Ooh, I think we've uh, edged out our previous competition here. We've got Sublime Epiphany. This card is yeah. awesome. Uh, we talked about how I'm a, a, a control mage. Um, tell you what, I'll mail you this one. <laughs> Mega Cryptic, anybody? Yeah, this thing is super cryptic. Solid so, A+. Plus. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. never passing that card. So this is four blue-blue for an instant. Choose one or more. Counter-target spell. Counter-target activated the word-triggered ability. Return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. Create a token that's a copy of a creature you control. Target player draws a card. How do you cast this and not get a five for one or a four for one or even a three for one? It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. You're always getting more than a one for one. Like, I don't know that it's even possible to get less than a one for one. And like <laughs> the worst case scenario is they just stop playing cards so you can't counter them. And then you just like deal with their thing, copy one of your things. Yeah. Like still absolute, two or three for one. Like it's just phenomenal. Absolute worst case scenario. Six mana, instant, bounce their attacker, copy your creature, draw a card. Well, the worst the case scenario is six mana, then they lofty denial you, but... <laughs> Alright, I guess you maybe want to play around lofty denial a little bit. But this card is ridiculous. Absolute pack one, pick one here. Yeah, for sure. 